Good morning. How are you guys? Good to see everyone here, and welcome to you guys joining us on the live stream as well. Um, if I haven't met you, my name's Hunter. I'm a ministry resident here at Grace Church, and uh, last October, my wife, Felicia, and I uh, moved to Abu Dhabi with a vision to see more healthy churches planted here in the city, um, and it's our joy to be here. Uh, the last couple of months, we've been learning from Grace Church, uh, learning about the city, learning what God might do here and how we might be a part of it, and so I'm honored to be here and share the word with you this morning. Our passage is going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, so if you want to open your Bibles there. And this is just two verses, but it's such a, uh, a two verses packed with truth. Um, and I, so I really think we'll be blessed by it this morning. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. I'll go ahead and read it for us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word. God, we thank you so much for your word, God. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together here this morning and read from your word to sing songs of praise to you, God. God, as we open up and look at this passage, would you just open our eyes by your spirit, God? Um, would you help us, our, our affections and our hearts to be stirred for you and for your glory? And we just help remind us that we're your people, God. And so we ask for help. Help me as I explain your word, as I teach your word, and bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Remembering who we are is important. It helps us know what we are to do and what our purpose is. Um, and if we forget it, there could be problems, right? Think of a military medic on the battlefield who forgets that he's a medic. He's uh, going into battle. Um, some fighting starts. He's wearing the red patch on his shoulder um, that signifies he's a medic. But in the midst of battle, he forgets that he's a medic. They start fighting. People start to get injured. His buddies start to call out for a medic. They're like, medic, medic. And no one responds because the medic has forgotten that he's a medic. This is a problem, right? Um, his fellow soldiers need him, and he's forgotten his identity and his purpose as a medic. And our identity and purpose shapes what we do and how we live. Medics take care of people on the battlefield because they're medics, after all. And in our passage today, we'll see that we, as God's people, have a shared identity and shared purpose. And Peter will also give us some fuel for living out that identity and purpose. And since we're jumping directly into the middle of 1 Peter, I think it's helpful to give some background and some context to, to what we're reading today. Peter, the Apostle Peter, is writing to churches spread throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And they're experiencing some persecution for their faith. We don't know exactly what kind of persecution, how bad it was, but Peter does call it in 1 Peter a fiery trial. So we know they're going through some difficulties. 
And it's likely that these fairly new Christians um, were being mocked by uh, some of their family members, maybe by people in their community, and they were in a hostile environment. And Peter's really encouraging them to stay faithful to their identity and purpose as Christians in this hostile environment. So it's helpful then as we study this passage to um, see it as Peter reminding these believers, this is your purpose, this is your identity, this is who Jesus is, don't forget it. And so if we look at the first part of verse 9, we'll see that we have a shared identity and purpose as God's people. Peter says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so we see these identity markers here that remind the readers who they are. Verse 9 begins with, but you. And directly before our passage, Peter had just described who unbelievers are. He says that they've rejected the cornerstone, which is Jesus, and they've disobeyed the word. And so here he's contrasting the unbelievers with believers. And he says, but you, and that's a plural you. Where I'm from, we say y'all, but y'all, right? So, but you believers, your identity is not as an unbeliever, but a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so these are all identity markers that are from the Old Testament, right? And Peter is applying them to these believers here in Asia Minor and to us, the New Testament church. But what do they mean, chosen race? And when we think of race, we think of something physical, right? Something on the outside. But Peter's not speaking of a physical race here, but a spiritual race. In the Old Testament, Israel was the chosen people of God, right? Um, he chose them from all the peoples on the planet. God picked them out, um, and now Peter's saying that we are a chosen race. We're not just a people that coincidentally are Christians, right? But God chose out all of us to be a part of us people. And this chosen race has nothing to do with our physical race. In fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? Because this chosen race is made up of people from all races. We know this because Scripture's heart is for all peoples. If we look at Revelation 5.9, for example, I think it'll be on the screen. And, and they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take up the scroll and to open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So Jesus ransomed people from all peoples, all nations, all races. And so this is a spiritual race. And then he says we're a royal priesthood as well. Peter probably has Exodus 19, 5 and 6 in mind here when, when he says this. In, in Exodus 19, God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai and says, Say this to the people of Israel. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, as Christians, we're a kingdom of priests. Earlier in the chapter, Peter's told us that we're a holy priesthood, meant to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And so this means that as Christians, we all have direct access to God. We can come to him in prayer. We don't need a priest. 
And this priesthood that we're a part of is only royal because we serve the king of the universe, right? God is the king of the universe. Isn't it amazing that we as a royal priesthood have access to the God of the universe? As priests, we can go directly to the king who is over all and owns all. He doesn't stop there. He says we're a holy nation. All of the things in the world that have potential to separate us, our different nations, our different cultures, our different ethnicities. God breaks down those barriers here, making us one holy spiritual nation. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that Jesus has broken down every dividing wall of hostility and created one new man, one new body, one holy nation set apart from God for God. And this doesn't take away from the differences that we all have, right? Our individual cultures, our individual languages, and our individual races are beautiful. God created them. And they bring so much value to the world, our differences, right? But they don't separate us anymore as Christians. They don't divide us. And what a special privilege it is to live this out here in Abu Dhabi. Like just looking around the room today. Like we can see so many people from different cultures and languages and nations. I read in a newspaper article recently that while the United Nations has 193 member nations, the UAE surpasses that with 200 nationalities living in it. So the place that we live is more diverse than the UN. So what an opportunity we have as the people of God living here in this place to put that on display, this one holy nation that a world watching on can look at. Finally, in verse nine, Peter says that we're a people for his own possession. And I think this implies purchase, right? We are his, he purchased us. How great is it that we just read in Revelation five that we're purchased by Jesus on the cross and he now possesses us. Jesus says, these people are mine. And that's wonderful news. This is who we are as the church, these four identity markers. We're the people of God and all the blessings that come with it. But notice the togetherness of these things that we're reading. They're not individual identity markers. Peter's not writing to the churches to remind them of their identity as individuals, but instead collectively. We often, I think, read the Bible individually. We say, what does this say about me? Um, personally, how does this affect my life? And those aren't always the wrong questions to be asking, but we cannot miss the togetherness of our faith as well, right? That we see here. We might say, we might read this passage and say, oh, I'm chosen. I'm a priest. And while that's true, Peter's purpose here is to remind us of our collective identity. You can't be a holy nation or a royal priesthood by yourself. You can't live that identity out individually. It must be together. So what does this mean for us? I like the way that a pastor named Edmund Clowney puts it. He says, church fellowship is not an optional advantage. To be chosen or ignored like membership in a social club, it's the calling of every Christian. There is a spiritual ethnicity to the church of Christ. Christians are blood relatives joined by the blood of Christ. So God has called us to be his people together, to participate in the body of Christ together. And I think this time during COVID has shown us all that we need the church. We need 
the togetherness that our faith is. And so let's live out this shared identity together in our small groups, our DNA groups, on Saturday mornings and throughout the week. Let's not forget our identity. But Peter doesn't stop there by showing us our identity as God's people. We're just one quarter of the way through this verse, right? But, But he says, look at the second half of the verse. He says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we see here that we have a shared purpose, not just a shared identity, but a shared purpose of proclaiming his excellencies. He says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. We aren't left just sitting in blessings as God's people, but it's so that we might proclaim. This implies reason, right? Say, say you, uh, you give your child some, some Durham to go eat lunch. Um, when he's going off to an event or an activity. And you say, I'm giving you these Durham so that you can buy lunch. They go off, they come back. At the end of the day, they're hungry because they haven't eaten lunch. But instead, they bought some toys or some Legos. I'm assuming that you'd be upset. And what what are you going to say to them? You're going to say, I gave you those Durham so that you could eat lunch, Right? You gave him that Durham with a purpose. And so the so that here implies purpose. Likewise, Peter tells us these blessings that we have as God's people have purpose. He's telling us why to proclaim the excellencies of God. And this purpose isn't just given to select Christians. It's not just given to pastors, to small group leaders, to people up on a stage. But like the identity markers that we saw earlier, are given to all Christians, so is this purpose. It's given to us all. We read in Isaiah 43, verse 7, God says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed in man, everyone is created for the glory of God, for his praise. If you're a follower of Jesus, this purpose that we're reading here in 1 Peter is for you to proclaim his excellencies. Some of your translations may say praises instead of excellencies. Essentially, we're to proclaim what, who God is and what he's done. The excellent and praiseworthy things that are about God, which we can never run out of, right? Because he is infinitely pra- uh, deserving of praise. But what does it mean to proclaim here? Well, with proclaiming, we have a sense of going out, of speaking. In Peter's day, um, things spread over a long uh, distances, right? News had to spread over long distances. There was no Twitter, no Instagram, no Abu Dhabi Q&A Facebook group to find out what's going on. People had to send letters um, and they had to go on foot. If they're lucky, they had to go on horseback. And so the word that Peter's using here is means sent out to proclaim the news. And when we read it, we need to get a sense of it going out and of it speaking and of it being intentional. We're bombarded every day with things proclaimed at us, right? It might be a commercial to try to get us to buy something or something on the news, the latest breaking news. Maybe it's the daily number of corona cases. But this passage tells us that we're meant to be proclaimers as well as Christians, to tell out the excellencies of God. I think the hang-up that we often have 
when it comes to proclaiming is not that we don't want to preach the gospel, not that we don't want to proclaim things about God, but that we don't know how or when or where to do it, right? You might say to me, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know how to get opportunities in my daily life to speak about God. I personally found these suggestions um, from a book that a pastor in the UK wrote on missional living really helpful. Um, Let's see if we can get them up on the screen. So he just gives some some practical suggestions of how we can live missionally and proclaim the gospel in our daily life. I'll just go through each one really quickly. He says, eat with a non-Christian. So invite people out to dinner or invite them into your house. Eat with them at work. Walk, don't drive if possible. Now, I know some neighborhoods aren't walking friendly in Abu Dhabi, but some are. And half the year we can walk them and get more opportunities to meet people, right? Be a regular I know some of the members of this church that already practice this one. People go out to restaurants and coffee shops regularly to try to meet people and share the gospel with them and get to know the people that work there and even ask how to pray for them. Maybe hobby with non-Christians. So maybe join a club of something you like to do or play football with a group of guys. Talk to your coworkers. Get past the, hey, how are you? and go deep into their lives. Maybe volunteer with nonprofits or charities that are reaching out to people in need, that are, that are helping with things in our community. Another idea is to participate in city events. Abu Dhabi has lots of festivals and things going on throughout the year. Uh, maybe go out to a grand opening of something new and see if you can meet people. And then finally, serve your neighbors. This is the people that are closest to us, right? But maybe the most difficult to get out and meet your neighbors and serve them and see how you can be a good neighbor to them. And I know this is eight things. We can't all do all of these, but we can all do some of these, right? And I think if we try maybe one or two of these things, that we will gain more opportunities to get to speak about God, to speak about Jesus to others that don't know him. I'd encourage you to just pick two of these and try them. And maybe even better, see if you can pick two of these and do them with other people in the church. Let's not forget that this call that we have to proclaim is situated right in the middle of a passage about the people of God. And so let's do it together. This idea of God's people living out their purpose and identity to proclaim the gospel has really gripped Alicia and I. And really, it's why we moved here to Abu Dhabi, because we've seen the great opportunity that the church has here in Abu Dhabi to do this. Um, And we've seen God use his people to to, uh, let people know about the gospel. I believe there's nothing better for the world around us, for our city, than churches that are proclaiming the greatness of God to the people around them. And we live in a city of around 1.8 million people. And most of them have never heard the truth about God. Most of them have never heard the truth about Jesus. And so we have this shared identity as the people of God and this shared purpose of proclaiming his excellencies and praises. But the passage isn't finished yet. We're not even through one verse. There's still more good stuff in it, right? In the rest of verse 9 and 10, 
we get, Peter gives us fuel to carry out this purpose and identity. Let's look at 9 and 10. He says, Of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I love food. If you know me, you know this. Um, specifically lately, I've been loving this pizza from a place called Russo's here in Abu Dhabi. Some of you might know it. Well, at Russo's, I get a Mulberry Street pizza, which comes with turkey bacon and beef and mozzarella cheese. And it's amazing. I love it. Um, and the day after I eat it or the day that I eat it, I'm probably, and you run into me, I'm probably going to tell you about it. I'm probably going to be talking about it because I've tried it. It's excellent. And that's, that's just what I'm experiencing right now. Um, and we do this with many things in our life, right? We enjoy them. We experience them, their greatness. And so we tell everyone how great they are. I love how, and really we were made to do this, I think. And C.S. Lewis says it like this. I've never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, horses, horses, colleges, countries, historical parsonages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. And you could add that Hunter praises his pizzas, right? Proclaiming and praising flows from us. And in these verses that we read, these last, the last part of verse 9 and verse 10, Peter gives us fuel to proclaim the excellencies of God. He gives us great things about God. In, at the end of verse 9, if you look at it, he says, Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? So he brings us as Christians from darkness to light. Isaiah 42, 16 gives us insight into this metaphor that Peter's using about our salvation. He says, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. So the idea is that we were blind, blind to the excellencies of God. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, opens our eyes to the truth about God. It's not though as though we were in a, a dark room and Jesus calls to us and we just feel our way out into the light. But instead, it's that he opens his, our eyes. He heals our blindness and brings us into his marvelous light. And this is worthy of praise and, and proclaiming, right? This is excellent. Peter then says, not only did he call you out of marvelous light, but in verse 10, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Verse 10 is a, the entire verse is a quote from the Old Testament, from the book of Hosea. Um, and Peter here is a, again applying Old Testament language to the New Testament church, right? So he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He doesn't just say, now you're a people, but God's people. That's meant to be personal, right? Think of us fellowshipping with God. We're his people. 
Think about how this would sound to Peter's uh, readers that are living in a hostile land, that are being maybe jeered at in the streets. Maybe their families turn their back on them. And Peter's saying, don't forget, you're God's people. You have a people and you're his. Keep the faith. Don't forget what he's done. So the churches that Peter were writing to, God's people. Us today, we are God's people as well. This is excellent and praiseworthy. Then the second half of verse 10 says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The implication here is that we need mercy, right? Before we came to Christ, we were under judgment. We had, like the believers earlier in the chapter, unbelievers earlier in the chapter, we had rejected Jesus, disobeyed the word, and were under judgment, all of us without exception. But now, some of the most amazing passages in the Bible begin with this, right? But now, um, we have an awful situation, and then God steps in and saves the day, right? So we saw but you in verse 9, and now in verse 10, we have two but nows. But now, God has given us his mercy, and we are saved from the penalty of sin. In chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. God has been so merciful to us that he not only saved us from judgment, from the penalty of our sin, but to a living hope. We have hope now as believers. We've received his mercy and grace, and this is an amazing thing, an excellent thing. If you're in Christ, you're no longer spiritually blind in darkness. You're no longer cut off from God and his people. And God in his mercy has saved you. And if you're not a believer yet, this mercy is open to you. This gospel is open to you. Peter is saying, God did this for you, believers. How much more excellent is it than Russo's pizza or our favorite game or winter weather in the UAE? These things are infinitely greater, right? This is our fuel for living out our identity and purpose. So when we remember our identity as the people of God and are fueled by what God's done for us in Christ, we proclaim his excellencies wherever we go. We speak of what he's done, how he saved us in our daily lives, in our small groups. Together this morning, we proclaim it as we sing together, right? As we preach, as we talk, when we're at work, when we're at home, we're proclaiming his excellencies, fulfilling our purpose of proclaiming God. So let us not be the medic who forgot who he was and his purpose but instead let's remember our identity as the people of God and the great purpose that he's given us to proclaim his excellencies. And let's do that with it fresh on our minds, just how excellent he really is. So let's live this out together here in Abu Dhabi. Let me pray for us and ask for God's help as we seek to do this and as we seek to obey his word and worship him together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that, God, you have transferred us from darkness, brought us into your marvelous light. God, thank you that you've made us, God, a people. 
God, thank you that you've chosen us, that you've made us a holy nation and set us apart, God, as people living in a dark land. God, thank you for giving us purpose, God, in this life to proclaim you. God, and we just ask for help. We ask that, God, as we seek to go about our week, that we would be reminded of your excellencies, God, that we would worship you more because of who you are and that we would proclaim who you are to those around us that don't know you and to each other, God. We ask for your spirit's help as we do this, God. So I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.